Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the co-founder and CEO of the award-winning company, PocPoc, Melissa Cash. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charlie. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. Obviously, anybody in the uh, audience who also has uh, kids, this is a feature or app category that's very important to uh, our mental sanity, maybe. So I'm excited to dive into a bunch of little details here. But before we do, I want to give everyone an introduction into who you are. The three questions I always ask to, to kick things off is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then we can talk about kind of your career that led up to PocPoc. Sounds good. Sure. So I'm from Toronto, Canada, um, born and raised, though I did spend about seven years living abroad. Six of those were in Germany. So fun fact, I'm bilingual. (laughs) It's not very useful on a day-to-day basis, but when it comes to translating app store metadata, it comes in handy from time to time. Not a lot of uh, German coming up in Toronto? No, not really, honestly. Um, My husband is German. My son is being raised bilingual. And if you drive about an hour and a half west of here, you will find the largest Oktoberfest that happens outside of Germany in the world oh, in a wow. town called Waterloo. Very random. It's where Blackberry is from. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that's the Blackberry City, right? It is the Blackberry City. And I, funnily enough, I actually also went to school there. And But I didn't know any of this like German connection existed until... I moved to Germany, lived there for a super long time, and then found out that my husband's grandfather had like a lifelong friend in Waterloo. And it turns out there are thousands of them. And yeah, lots of Germans there. But wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry to cut you off already. I just found that interesting. So uh, <laughs> I guess the next one is uh, formal education. Yeah. So I did go to university. I studied, I have a, an honors bachelor of arts in communication studies, which, yeah. I mean, it's there. It's a thing that I have. <laughs> Did it really exactly contribute to what I do today? Probably not so much. Um, it taught me a lot of soft skills, you know, studying, how to study, how to think, um, how to meet deadlines, how to communicate concisely. But um, the actual takeaway from the courses, I'm not sure if I'm using it day to day in Buck I have to admit. <laughs> I'm always curious about communications degrees. I have a couple friends who have them that uh, went on to like help sort of run nonprofits and stuff. And it, they said it was like super useful. Um, but I never, I guess it's because it's like a soft, uh, set of soft skills, even if it actually contributes a whole lot, uh, it's hard to like point directly to something. Whereas like, you know, if you have a hard science, uh, type of degree, it's easy to say, I learned this exact set of chemistry from this exact class. Yeah, I definitely learned some hard skills, but the biggest takeaway for me was just how to, um, like consider human interactions and that that i think has contributed to me being a very emotionally intelligent person so i don't know if that that didn't all come from university for sure i've actually always had that skill set growing up but i think studying communication and learning about the ways we communicate did help kind of solidify some of those things that i already had going on but um yeah i mean we also got to read a lot yeah definitely an important skill set for being a leader, right? At a company. Yes, that is true. (laughs) So, okay. So after that, uh, I guess what's the sort of path that led you to, to starting PocPoc? 
So I graduated university. I didn't really know what I was going to do next. I thought maybe I would be a travel writer, but I ended up finding myself living in Germany and working for a very small fashion startup, which took art from different artists all over the world from like literally homeless street artists all the way up to people like Ai Weiwei and bringing their art into fashion to try to make it a little bit more mainstream and introduce people to um, modern art. So I worked there as an intern. It was just me and the founder, very, very tiny little shop called, called Des Artistes. It's unfortunately no longer running. But while I was working for that company, I was on a business trip and bumped into a woman at a bus stop who happened to work at Disney. And very long story short, we ended up hitting it off, staying connected. And I started working at Disney six months later, designing products for kids. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Like you always, you always hear like urban uh, designers love to talk about creating collisions. You know, like if you design a space to Mm -hmm. cause lots of people to bump into each other at coffee shops or whatever, but that's, I mean, wow, that's like a poster child for that situation at a bus stop. Yeah, it was in Berlin. Uh, she happened to be American too, which was just odd because, yeah, I mean, what are the chances? Like somebody was, I, a stranger was approaching and I was thinking like, I can't speak German at the time. I couldn't yet. And it's like, what? how am I going to respond to whatever this woman's going to say to me? Yeah. But she spoke English and asked me, hey, do you know what time the bus is coming? And I was like, I actually do. Yes. <laughs> um. And then, so I started working for Disney and I was there for almost five years designing physical products for babies and toddlers mostly. And that was so fun. I mean, working in the in a creative industry at one of the most creative, joyful companies on earth. Yeah. And I was definitely a Disney kid growing up. So I just had a blast working there. Um, it had all of the like wonderful perks you could imagine. And uh, and also taught me a ton about not only the kids space, but also parents, how they think, what's important to them and what matters when it comes to building a brand from the age of literally zero. And so um, after Disney, I decided to move back to Canada and I started working at a startup here, working in marketing. And it was right at that time that my, my brother, Ryan, actually, who um, is the founder of another company based here in Toronto called Snowman. Yeah. They are the uh, creators of Alto's Adventure, Alto's Odyssey, a lot of premium indie games that you you may know. And um, yeah, they were about to launch a new video game. And I was fresh off the plane from Germany, didn't have a job yet. And he was like, hey, can you help me? And it was so funny because we used to work together when we were younger. Um, we worked at an educational toy store here in Canada for several years. At the same time, we even had a shared paper route. Then we worked at the same restaurant. Like we're very close siblings. And uh, we were kind of like, okay, we shouldn't work together anymore. Like we don't want work to become our whole lives because yeah, we're also kind of friends. So right. You're talking um, business at Thanksgiving. That's maybe. uh, Exactly. Uh, So we were like, this is not a good idea, but I said like, I'll help you for a few months while I just like reacclimate into Canadian life, look for a job. And he was like, perfect. We just need help for three months. So this is amazing. So I helped them launch what was um, Alto's Odyssey did like a lot of the marketing and PR for that game. And while I was doing that, I I met somebody who actually worked for him. His name's Mateus. And he and his wife, Esther, ended up becoming my co-founders at Pock Pock. <laughs> and so it, it was all this kind of like crazy serendipitous journey, but um, one that led me down a path that I'm absolutely in love with now. So then how, how did Pock Pock start? What was sort of the impetus for that? 
So Esther and Matthias, their husband and wife, they're actually based in Belgium and they're wonderful people. And they have two young kids at the time they were two years old and freshly newborn. And, you know, they're millennial parents. <laughs> they have an affinity for technology. They worked at the game studio. They're both classically trained and award-winning animators and artists. And so when they were starting to look around for something for their two-year-old to do on iPad and sort of introduce him to technology in a healthy way, they were really not finding what they wanted. So mostly what was coming up was a lot of overstimulating and more addictive video games that yeah. were definitely not designed for young children or designed well for young children. <laughs> or they were designed for young children in a maybe not uh, very well way. Exactly. <laughs> or um, very pedagogical apps, you know, centered around learning the ABCs, the one, two, threes, sort of this memorization regurgitation model, which, you know, has its place in the world, but these kids don't learn best through memorizing and spitting out information, especially under the age of five years old. And so Esther and her husband were looking around for something that was play-based, something that was open-ended, kind of like the toys on the floor of their house. Yeah. And they weren't finding anything. So they started thinking about it and realized like they could, they're artists. They're like, we're, we're talented. We can just tinker something up on our own on the weekends and try to build what um, their son really loved in real life, which was a busy book. So one of these like look and search books filled with items on a page where there's no text, but you just look around and you can play I spy, you can guess the sounds, like just kind of looking. Ah, uh, yeah. And um, so they started working on that in their spare time. It was very simple. You just had some icons and like mostly animals. You tap one, it would make a sound and animate. And it was very, very easy. Um, and right at the time they were kind of conceptualizing this little digital busy book for their little one, they showed it to my brother, Ryan. And that was exactly when I was helping with the launch. So we ended up sitting down and talking about it because he was like, oh, you have to show this to my sister, Melissa. She's spent years working in the kids space. And I was just floored by the art style initially. Um, it was just beautiful. I'd never seen anything that had that was designed for children that met them at their level. Mm. And what I mean by that is not something that adults think is great for kids, but something that kids actually think is awesome. And the art style was just super minimalist. It only used four colors. And it was something as that was nice enough that I would hang in my own house. And coming from the kid space, there are very few other things that I would I would do that with. So we got to talking and they told me about the problem they were trying to solve for their kids. And it really resonated a lot with me. You know, speaking of my degree, not really having a lot of relevance in my day-to-day -day career. There's just so much that we don't learn in school. And the education system hasn't changed for the last hundred plus years. And we talked a lot about how our kids are going to grow up to have jobs that haven't been invented yet. And like, how the heck are we supposed to prepare them for that life? And it really came down to thinking about, you know, this is pre-ChatGPT, pre-COVID. Um, this is us just thinking like, okay, AI is going to play an important role and a lot of our jobs will be taken over by technology. So what skills do our kids actually need? And that just came down to creativity, thinking differently, mm. thinking outside of the box. And all of that just tied in so beautifully with their interest in building something open-ended and child-led for their kids. And so we, we talked a lot about all of these things and ultimately decided that we have to do something about it and that we wanted to do something about it together. So we took this very small idea of a digital busy book and grew it into what became Puck Puck and decided that our, our mission would be to help raise the next generation of creative thinkers through 
digital play and technology in a really healthy and mindful way. So, okay. So you decided you want to like do something with this, right? Uh, this idea. What's the, what's the path from that point to, you know, you've actually released a thing called Pock Pock. I'm curious about that name too. Like, I'm just curious yeah. <laughs> leading up to that initial release, what were kind of the goals? So our initial plan was to bring the educational piece with together with the play piece from the toys that we all grew up playing with into a digital space. So I hopped on the plane, flew to Belgium, spent a week on Math and Esther's living room floor. And and I brought a bunch of toys with me. Obviously, they had a house full of toys. And we just talked and played and played with their kids. And we're thinking about the formative evergreen toys that we that shaped us. Yeah. And our our initial vision was to do two things. We wanted to push the boundaries of play for toddlers and kids really two to seven years old using technology. That means inventing new toys and kind of putting the toy maker's hat on ourselves. And then the other thing we wanted to do was to take these exceptional evergreen toys that have survived hundreds and hundreds of years in many different forms and bring them into the 21st century and make them better in some way through digitization. So what became Pock Pock Playroom, our app is really this collection of digital toys that are designed specifically for open-ended child-led play with no rules, no language, no menus, no limits, and are, are totally there to spark ideas and questions and creative thinking. And that collection of toys started with six six different things, which we launched with in May of 2021, one which was the digital busy book and has now grown into, I think we have over 15 toys now. So it's evolving pretty quickly. <laughs> was the was the original idea to have it be a collection of them? Or at first were you trying to nail it down to one and then you realized there's too many good ideas and it kind of grew from there? Yeah. So we always knew it was going to be more than just one toy because kids are so curious and we knew that we wanted to grow with their curiosity. So we wanted to give them more than just like one thing to do. So we wanted to build a collection of toys that would also pique the interest of kids as they grow and change. So thinking about our playrooms growing up, you know, I had a I had Lego, I had puzzles, I had art supplies, I had cars, I had dolls, I had so many things. And some weeks I just really wanted to play with the Lego and other times I wanted to go to something else. And often I actually wanted to mix those all together. And it it, it kind of reminded us of this Montessori toy rotation concept. And so we thought, what better way to grow with children than to bring the diversity and interest from that real playroom into a digital space. So we always wanted to build different toys, different sort of modules to make sure that there was always something interesting and new to explore for kids. Can you can you go into the is it Montessori uh what, I I'm familiar with the word, but it's it's almost like the uh hierarchy of needs thing where it's like I know the most <laughs> surface level version of what that is. Can you explain like what that is and how it relates? Sure. So one of the guiding principles of Montessori is that play is led by the child and play is also open-ended. So for us, we wanted to make sure that we were taking those two principles into Pock Pock because they are scientifically proven to not only nurture children, but actually help develop their brains and not only develop their brains, but also build important skills beyond 
the classroom skills. So I'm talking life skills like resilience, trust, compassion, empathy, and so on and so forth. So the toy rotation is just a typical Montessori concept that you'll find in a Montessori classroom, for example, or a Montessori home where they a teacher will take away some toys for a, a certain period of time and then bring them back later to encourage kids to look at them anew. And honestly, this is something I even used to do with my dog. <laughs> like he would he would oh, like yeah, play yeah. with the same toy all the time and then suddenly hate it and and then just start chewing on my pants, you know? So I would hide the toy for a couple of days and then bring it back and he was like, "Oh my god, it's the toy." And so it's it's like something that actually applies in many areas of life, but um with kids it's a really amazing thing because it you know, because they're going so quickly as well, when you reintroduce something, sometimes they're looking at it with an entirely different brain, you know, like how they play with a spoon when they're three months old versus how they play with a spoon when they're one year old is is insanely different. So yeah. bringing things in and out can really help with that. And so we wanted to build that a little bit into Pock Pock so that kids can hop from toy to toy and evolve with their interests as they grow. So is that why the, like when you open Pock Pock after the extremely delightful uh, animation, you you get like this kind of collection of of toys you can play with, but it's less than, you said you're up to 50 now? 15. Oh, 15. Oh, okay. That makes more yes. sense. So, so, so they're all there. They are all there at the beginning. Yeah. So they're actually all there. What we do though, is we signify different toys at different times. So for example, we have, um, if we have an update, so let's say we updated our town toy, for example, we'll, we'll signify that with a little sort of gentle animation to point kids in that direction, just to show them, Ooh, something might be going on here yeah. and not saying, Hey, go play with me right now. But like, Ooh, something might be going on here. And then a child can decide, do I want to check that out or do I not want to check that out? So that's one way that we, um, you know, we, help guide kids through the experience. And and the way that we do this also means that parents don't actually have to be involved if they don't want to. So that sort of became another guiding principle with Pock Pock is when it comes to screen time and our kids, we already feel guilty enough most of the time, even though that's that tends to be a, a sort of media blitz taboo thing rather than actual <laughs> science. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to make sure like, okay, if parents are going to be giving their kids some time with Pock Pock and time with the iPad or the iPhone, we would like them to also have the choice of taking a break themselves because parenting is exhausting. And sometimes it's nice to have 10 minutes to cut up a carrot or go to the bathroom without a kid sitting on your lap. Right. So um, we made sure that the entire experience was child-led and child-managed. So a parent doesn't actually have to be there. And that's why those little signifiers are really nice because it sort of acts as like a, hey, why don't you try looking over here for a second and see if that's interesting to you? So instead of having a parent have to say like, hey, Johnny, have you like, why are you always playing with the same thing? Go check that one out. So it's, it's very subtle, but yeah. um, it's all part of our design ethos, which is to be very gentle and make suggestions rather than force kids to go down a certain path. This episode of Launched is brought to you by RevenueCat. RevenueCat makes in-app subscriptions simple. Their platform lets you focus on improving your app rather than getting bogged down in subscription infrastructure. RevenueCat provides a backend and wrapper around Apple's StoreKit and Google Play billing to simplify the implementation and upkeep of in-app purchases. 
RevenueCat provides out-of-the-box analytics for over 15 key subscription metrics, like monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, retention, and more. RevenueCat also offers pre-built integrations with best-in-class tools like Amplitude, AppsFlyer, Mixpanel, and Firebase, so you can connect in-app purchase events in minutes in a couple of clicks. Customers have been able to cut down on their engineering backlog, better understand customer behavior, and grow faster by switching to RevenueCat. See why companies like Notion, Visco, and PhotoRoom use RevenueCat to power in-app subscriptions. Learn more at RevenueCat.com. And thank you so much to RevenueCat for sponsoring this episode of Launched. One of my questions I had was, like, (laughs) the app is just, like, extremely delightful. Like, the whole design of it is... It's very fun and playful. And I was curious, you know, how, how you achieve that. But then you, you've already mentioned your co-founders are classically trained animators. Mm-hmm. Have they been the ones developing this the whole time? Or have you built out uh, a team of people that's, you know, building these toys? We actually have a team. So we have our product development team is probably about six or seven people by now. Um, so Astro and Mateus were the, are the vision holders in terms of the art style and the the entire creative direction of the product. But um, we we did hire some folks very early on because our animation style is extremely arduous. So yeah. all of the animations in Pock Pock are hand-drawn like they did in the 1920s. If you picture a flip book, that's how our animations are made. It's frame by frame. So our cheetah animation in the busy book took two weeks and it's just a cheetah stretching for like three seconds. So it, yeah, yeah. Um, it shows you that uh, just how much work goes into the app. And so we did need to hire some folks. So we have an amazing animator on our team who does most of the hand-drawn uh, animation, sorry. And she's been, she was actually the first person we hired because we knew we have all these animations to make. We need some help. Um, and then we also have a couple of wonderful developers and designers who help figure out the fun. So they focus on what we call like the game design, the play design. And um, to be honest, though, because we're such a small team, everybody actually has a hand in all of that. So yeah. um, it's not like our animator can't weigh in on the way that the toy is actually working. So we're, we're all very hands-on. And then we have um, two other really incredible folks. One is sort of our head of creative and production, and he manages a lot and oversees all of the art and like art direction really for the app and um, works really closely with Esther on the creative direction and helps manage all of our production and all of that fun stuff. But then, um, and honestly, he does a thousand other things, but we also have a sound designer. I was literally, that was my next question is like, do you have somebody (laughs) dedicated to sound? Because that feels like a big, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There is a lot. So our sound designer, I mean, it's very unusual for a small company like ours. So we're 12 people to have a sound designer in-house. Yeah. But we we hired Matt very early because we knew that the sound for Pock Pock had to be had to be ours. Like we couldn't just go find sounds from a library and put them in because what we were trying to create didn't exist, which was a digital experience that feels like wooden blocks or a storybook. It has exactly, it had to have that tactility to it and it had to feel very gentle and sensory friendly because a big reason why screens get such a bad rap is because they're so 
because the content tends to be so overstimulating, which leads to meltdowns in children. And it's kind of like if you binge watch Storage Wars for eight hours, like you're going to feel horrible after. But if you watch a David Attenborough documentary about planet Earth, you'll walk away feeling like clean and relaxed and yeah, happy. Yeah. And we wanted to create that feeling in Poc Poc. So all of the sounds we create are hand recorded in Toronto and all of the music in Poc Poc is also, those are all original tracks that our sound designer nice. composed, recorded. Um, he and his wife actually do all of the vocals in Poc Poc themselves. It's, it's really cool. And this whole handmade feel is what we feel like gives Poc Poc that differentiation to other kids apps that are very just loud and overstimulating. Yeah, they're a lot more sugary. Um, and this is, exactly. it's not like this is vegetables. It's not like, uh, you know, you're learning like rote memorization or I don't know, like the hard, whatever you'd call that. It feels like it's, uh, it's just, yeah, like healthy, regular food. Yeah, what food would <laughs> you give it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I started that metaphor and then it started falling apart and I couldn't find it. Uh, I love that you started though, because actually I use this metaphor all the time and it makes me really happy that you said it because funnily enough, you're like, Pepuck's not a vegetable. But I, oh, but, and now that you say that, I agree with you, but I also always say pot pockets is the broccoli of kids' apps. But I have to say, <laughs> I love broccoli. It's one of my favorite I vegetables. I love broccoli so, too. That's actually our go to example for uh, the kids when they, you know, say a thing that they don't like because, because we have broccoli a lot, I think. And so they associate mm -hmm. that with the vegetables we don't like even though they'll eat uh, you know, <laughs> cauliflower or whatever. Uh, but so yeah, I guess what I mean when I say it's not the vegetables, usually when people use the metaphor of make sure you eat your vegetables, it's because it's like you kind of hold your nose and, you know, uh, eat yeah. the thing you need to because it's unpleasant. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Pock Pock is unpleasant uh, from a kid's perspective, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, I couldn't mm -hmm. find the actual metaphor for what that would be. But That's true. It's probably like cheese maybe <laughs> like yeah, something yeah, metal, there you, you know go. like milk or something um, for a kid like it's a yeah healthy... i mean we we want it to be nourishing and healthy and delicious but we also want it to be fun because yeah you know there's there's still humor in pock pock and it's still warm and we we still want it to be interesting and fun and funny for kids as well but we want to do it in a way that a parent can also feel really good about because they know their kids actually learning from it and it's it's going to be like a safe, gentle experience. You mentioned that, you know, your co-founders were in Belgium, um, but then mm -hmm. like your sound designers in Toronto are, are most people distributed? Are there some people in person? I'm curious how you do something this sort of artistic in a distributed environment, if that's the case. Yeah, we're so our whole company is in Toronto, except for Esther and Mateus and two of our um, sort of growth and marketing people who are in Montreal. So we were able to pull this off because <laughs> we are really good communicators. Maybe I did learn something at university. Yeah, um, it's but, all coming back. <laughs> it's all coming back. Um, no, I mean, it is kind of tough, but we, we do see each other quite often, as often as possible. Obviously, during the peak of the pandemic, we didn't see each other at all. But we do have an office here in Toronto. So Esther and her husband come over regularly. Um, we gather we try to gather at least quarterly in person to do creative deep dives, play, go on field. We call them field trips, but like we we're always trying to learn about play through interesting means. And so that's another way we stay connected. So during the pandemic, for example, we obviously couldn't 
see the whole team in person. So, um, but we were working on our forest toy. So we all went hiking and whoever could come in person came and everybody else kind of hiked on their own and filmed it. And um, we all had like little missions within that hike to try to take away things that would help the app. And makes me think of Pixar kind of famously did that, right? Like before every movie, they'd send most of their animators out and they talk about how every animator would bring back a small detail or something that it wasn't part of the main narrative, but it just all adds to that texture. Totally. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Like we've all read creativity Inc. I think it's a company. Um, (laughs) For anyone who hasn't read it, go read it. It's amazing. Um, But also it's also because like fundamentally, like we're adults. I mean, I would love for this company to be run by a toddler (laughs) because I feel like they would crush it, but unfortunately that's not possible. So we have to, find our own sense of wonder as much as humanly possible, which means getting out of our office, going away from our computers and like playing in the mud, essentially, metaphorically, of course. Um, You know, we do a lot of activities with the team where we're going to like the science centers, museums, art galleries, the forest, like wherever is relevant for the the toys that we're developing. But then we're also trying to um, make sure that we're not creating silos between the creative departments and everybody works together really well. And that is a testament to the way that our production has been structured. So it's very hands-on. We don't, we don't have a lot of superfluous meetings. It's very much like touching base very briefly throughout the week as needed to make sure that everything's cohesive. And then we also have a design mantra, which I stole from my brother and his company, which is the best idea wins. And that just means like, no matter what department you worked in, no matter what your job is, if you have the best idea about anything company wide, it wins. So um, we, we really encourage everybody on the team to share ideas about every aspect of the business. And we don't find that it becomes too many cooks in the kitchen because we're still really small and everybody respects one another's area of expertise, of course, but having fresh eyes can really be exciting because very often it's somebody who's never touched a pen or sorry, a pen, like a, a marker or a paintbrush or a line of code who comes up with something really exceptional. And very often it's the person whose expertise it is, but um, just being open to that, I think is really important. And then the other really grounding piece of that development process, which helps us work, even though we're not all in the same space every day, our kids, we do a lot of play testing. So having that kind of ground us is really helpful. So we do a lot of it in person whenever we can, obviously during peak of the pandemic, we couldn't do that much, but um, we try to meet up with kids as much as we can. A lot of us have our own kids and friends and family. And then we have like a cohort of playtesting families who um, we work with virtually. And then mm. we also work with a couple of daycares and preschools around Canada and Belgium who help oh, us cool. test new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was actually going to be my next question is like, how do you, how do you find, you know, physical uh, groups, people to play test with? If anybody listening wants to be a play tester, just email us at hello at playpockpock.com. We are always signing on new playtesting families. It's really wonderful for us. Like the more we have, the better. Do you like do anything to try and um because this is a this is a global, I, I'm presuming, a global kind of targeted product. Have you done anything to try and like get a connection to people in different cultures or different areas? And when, if that's happened, have you found that there's, uh, there's differences that have sort of guided the product in a different way? 
Mm -hmm. This is a really good question. Yes. So because Plakback has no language, it's very versatile and accessible to people all over the world. And it it is available globally. Um, The US is our biggest market at the moment, but we have a lot of users outside of sort of the Western world and also English speaking countries. So one of our core values when it comes to content and design is inclusivity, accessibility, and representation. So we want to make sure that we're representing all different types of people in the app, whether that be you know different abilities and disabilities, different family constructs, genders. Um, you know, we're very we we like to create. We, we're working hard to create a place that every kid can see themselves in, yeah, and also have sort of like a a window into the world in case it's something that they haven't experienced yet on their own. And a big part of that is culture. So we do what we call cultural updates to the app a couple of times a year for different things. So we have a lot of users in China, but we also have a lot of users outside of China who respect and celebrate the Lunar New Year every year. So Mm. that was something we really wanted to create content for. So a couple of years ago, we started working with some consultants from China in order to help us like nail this down properly. So we obviously had um, folks also here locally in Toronto who helped us, but we tried to ask as many different families and people as possible because we wanted to create something that would be like valuable to an enormous group of people. So we've done Lunar New Year content now two years in a row. We also just recently launched an update for Holy, which is the Festival of Color, which yeah. was in March, um, which was really fun and and so cool to do. And here's the thing, like it's 2023, like there are people everywhere from everywhere. So it doesn't matter if yeah, the US is your core market. Like the whole world is in the United States. And even if even if it's not your culture that you are part of or your celebrations that you celebrate, it's so important to show kids what else is out there. So we like to think of it as like windows and mirrors into the world. So we want kids to have mirrors in Pock Pock where they can see themselves, their family, their community and and connect and feel that appreciation. So if if we have a little child who's growing up in a wheelchair and has two dads, we want them to see that exist in Pock Pock. But we also want to give kids windows into the world so that um, they learn about things that they may not see or experience in their day-to-day lives and communities. So that is why these cultural updates are actually even more important, I think. Um, Obviously, you want to be able to see yourself and your media and grow up with that validation and support. But I honestly think it's so crucial for the next generation, especially to see and learn about all different kinds of cultures and people so that it's less scary. Because I think a lot of the prejudice in the world comes from fear and we're trying in our own very small way to break down those barriers with Pac Pac. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think the simply just, yeah, being exposed to different cultures um, and seeing them also as, I mean, I feel like, uh, like here in the States we have PBS is our public broadcasting company for TV. And I still think back today on, you know, 90s version of PBS. They do like a little, you know, five minute segment in between shows on uh, a random holiday or something in a different country. And then whenever, yeah, you go out into the real world and you meet people from there, like there's at least something there to like connect with uh, at a human level. And so all those things, even from early childhood, just seeing them represented uh, 
builds that sort of human connection with other cultures. It's so great PBS does that too, because it's this age range, like under the age of 10, especially where kids form most of their biases and assumptions about the world. And if that's only coming from their home, their immediate families and their school, like it's naturally going to be very limited. So I think it's our jobs as anybody who creates content for kids to remember that it's on us to open up the world to them a little bit more because this is that age where they're going to, you know, form those biases that could, you know, follow them through their entire lives. So yeah, we think about that a lot and, and I don't think we've gotten it perfect to be honest, but we're trying really hard every year. I think we take um, pretty big steps forward there. So stay tuned for more, hopefully. So I guess stepping away from the creative side a little bit, um, I have a couple, you know, questions about the business itself. Um, the first one is like the business model on its own is uh, it's a subscription and that's what it was from the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you go into details on like how you came to that decision? Like you worked, you know, with a game studio that was paid up front um, at least for most of their games, as far as my knowledge. So what made you end up landing on a subscription here? Rasa just came down to the vision. So we really wanted to continue to make content for kids over time and not just make one thing, have it exist in the world and kind of walk away from it. So for us, in order to be able to do that, we need the recurring revenue of a subscription model. And that also, I think, scratches the itch at the same time for families because kids grow so quickly. And instead of having to go out and buy a new app every three months or every year, you can subscribe to PocPoc for literally five, six years and your kid will be able to grow with it. So I think it... it it both um, helps us achieve our mission, but also helps families not have to go hunting for other things all the time. I'm not saying they should only ever use PocPoc, of course, like diversify. That's what's best for children, but um, we wanted that piece. And then on a more practical side, um, when we when we released the app in 2021, the, app, the state of the app store was actually kind of similar to where it is now, but paid apps were not very popular. It's yeah. really hard to grow a paid app from a business point of view. So for us making it um making it like I don't know a 399 app or something or a $10 app even was never really an option. We knew like if we wanted to build a business out of this, then it had to be a subscription because freemium or free was just not going to work for us because the way we make PocPoc is so unique and arduous. We needed to, we need to pay our team to do that. So we we couldn't make the app free because we would never dream of advertising to kids ever. So like... Yeah, that's true. It, there's a whole business model completely kind of locked down. Yeah. So for us, like we didn't want any of that in the app, like for lack of a better word. There's a lot of apps out there that have that and like it's, it is what it is. But for me and for our team, it was just never... It was never even a discussion. It was like... The sketch, like nothing sketchy can happen in PocPoc. Um, we ask for a subscription payment. There's a free trial. But then after that, it's that's it. Like we're never going to speak to you again. We're not going to bother you. We don't want to steal your money. We, like, we don't want to advertise to your children. So free was not an option. Paid was not an option. So the subscription really felt like the perfect solution for us. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then another one is... Uh... A few years ago, I actually, I should have looked at the dates. I don't know if this is before or after the initial release, but you raised mm -hmm. a seed round of investment funding. Can you like mm -hmm. go into details on w kind of what the decision making was for that? 
Sure. Yeah. So we raised, we've actually raised two rounds. Um, oh, okay. We raised one round just before we launched in 2021. And then we raised a second round last year in May, actually. So it's almost been a full year now. And the reason we did that was because when we started back, like thinking back to earlier in our conversation, when I was speaking about the way we got started and the problem we were trying to solve for us, it was much more than like, Hey, we want to make a kid's app period. Like it was like, Hey, we want to make a kid's app comma. And then like 17,000 other paragraphs of how we're going to change the world. And in order to do that in a timely manner, that's not going to take us 60 years. We were like, okay, we're going to need some, some more money. <laughs> so what we decided to do was to raise outside capital from really like-minded folks who believe in our mission and want to help us succeed. So that's why we decided to raise money. And it's been an incredible experience for us. We have some amazing investors in our corner who not only support us and care about Pock Pock, but also are kind of with us through the ups and downs of running a startup because that, at the end of the day, that's that's what we're doing here. So um, yeah, it's been awesome. And we've been able to use the injection of cash to help grow our brand, grow our marketing, and most importantly, grow the playroom to bring more toys to kids. Was that primarily to grow the team and get the talent that you needed? Like we talked about, it's for such a you know small company, it's actually really heavily weighted towards some heavy hitters on a bunch of different aspects of design. Yeah. Or, like, is that primarily what it was? Or was there also quite a bit of like marketing effort to try and uh, get that initial traction? So for us, like the first priority was the product. So if you don't have an amazing product, it doesn't matter if you market it well, it's just going to hit a wall at some point. So our biggest investment has been in our production team and our entire creative team. And we hired most of those people. No, we hired all of those people before we raised any money um, because that was to us the most important thing. Um, that being said, all of our growth, especially for that first year, was totally organic. So it was just through oh, word wow. of mouth and after winning a couple of awards, obviously, like words, words started getting out a little bit that Pock Pock was something that parents should care about. So that was wonderful. And then we decided to raise the second round because we wanted to tell people about it. <laughs> so before that, the only marketing we did was Esther and I on our couches at night doing some Instagrams, doing some TikToks, writing a couple emails. Um, I did PR. My background before Disney was in PR. So I did all of the PR for us before we released. And that that definitely helped bring in some traction as well. But other than that, like we didn't try to tell people about Pock Pock very much because we wanted to make sure before we did that, that the product was nailed down. And while we did have a lot of play testers before we released it, who validated everything we thought we were doing right. We wanted to make sure that that still rang true once we had actually released it to the public. So we spent the first few months post-launch just focusing on talking to users and confirming our hypotheses and yeah. making small tweaks here and there. And then we were like, okay, now we can invest in marketing. So we used the most of that funding to not only grow that team, but also invest in all of the marketing initiatives and um, cleaning up our data and all of those things that you know you don't really want to dig too deep into until you're sure that you're onto something product wise. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. What what was like the type of marketing that really worked for you? Ooh, um, that's a good question. We've had a few things. So for us, working with creators who have communities that 
have kids work. So like influencers, um, and we're pretty particular on who we work with because we don't work with very many. So they have to be like very like-minded. They actually have to have kids that use Pock and actually like it and actually care about it and yeah. all of those things. And then, um, and that's been great because as a parent, you know this, like parents just trust other parents so much. There's every day you're entering and leaving a new phase with your kids. And it's like, now what? How do I solve this new problem? Yeah. And you you go ask your other parent friends and they know because they've hopefully just been through it or you're about to help somebody who's about to go through it. So we wanted to kind of leverage that trust among parents. So we work with a lot of parent influencers and then we also have done some good old fashioned ads and those have been working quite well also because we're able to you know, communicate what's unique about Pock Pock to parents in the places that they are, which is mostly on social media these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, definitely spent many like sleepless nights trying to rock a baby to sleep uh, with one hand and then my other hand uh, scrolling through whatever social media of choice to just keep me awake so I don't fall asleep on the floor. Yeah, that's literally my my whole week has been like that. And it's, it's so funny because I'm scrolling at the same time, like 12 month sleep regression. Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, yeah, how do yeah, I exactly. make my kid fall back asleep? And uh, yeah, and then the, the best thing at the end of the Googling, I'm just like, why am I even Googling this? I'm just going to text my seven friends with <laughs> kids who are slightly older than mine. Because <laughs> odds are someone's been through it. It's because you're desperate and at that exact moment, uh, your brain isn't usually fully operating at capacity. I feel no, like. no, no. I'm, I'm operating at like 10% in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So we're, we're getting close on time. So uh, um, I'll go ahead and ask you the question I ask everybody to end the show, which is uh, what's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out? So the list for this for me is actually really long, but totally the person, fine. the person that I've been like really excited about in the last few months has been Glennon Doyle. So she has no relation to this business whatsoever. <laughs> she's, in, she's the author of Untamed, which has like become a very, very famous book, but she also has a wonderful podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, which she hosts with her wife, Abby. And it's so insane. It's amazing. And I think the the reason why I find it insane is because it's so simple. They are just talking about life, but they're doing so with this incredible clarity and bird's eye view that is almost impossible to get when you're living your own life, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and the way that I think about it is my own life, but then also to the business, you know, getting a bird's eye view on something that you're up to your eyeballs in is is really, really tough. But if you can do that, I think that's kind of where the magic happens. That's where the creativity comes through. That's where the ideas come. So she's been a wonderful source of just motivation and excitement. Uh, her books are amazing. Um, definitely very focused on the female community typically, but very relevant as well for men. I have my husband reading Untamed now. <laughs> and I think like... Yeah, I just think it's a really powerful read and her podcast is amazing. And and her mantra, we can do hard things. It's it's very true and it, it honestly gets me through a lot. Some of those nighttime rocking sessions with my baby trying to get him to fall asleep, um, really tough moments with the company, big decisions. You know, I think it's it's easy to forget, but like we can do hard things and that's cool and it's fine and we get through it. 
from a business point of view, I was thinking about this earlier and I had to think of a book that I read. I've read maybe like four times. It's very thin. It's maybe like 80 pages. I'm not sure. It's called Fundraising. Mm. Just Fundraising by Ryan Breslow. Um, He's an incredible founder who's fundraised a lot. And it's kind of this like half a centimeter thick (laughs) Bible on, on early stage fundraising. And I've read it to shreds. I've highlighted the whole book. I've sent it to a ton of friends. It's so key if you're raising money for the very first time. It'll just get you through like the first hundred questions you have in a really accessible, quick way. And it's so short. You can reread it honestly like 10 times and um, it's amazing. So for anyone fundraising, it's called Fundraising by Ryan <laughs> Good SEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I like, I really like when these answers are like outside of the particular industry you're in. Cause I, I just, I find it fascinating when like, I mean, I think a lot of the magic happens when you can bring in ideas from somewhere else, you know, it's like bringing new colors in uh, and then it shapes the whole industry. You inspire more people or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'll definitely check those out. Oh yeah. Please do let me know what you think. Awesome. Well, um, I think we can go ahead and uh, wrap it up. Where can, uh, where can people find you and Pockpock? So Pockpock is P-O-K-P-O-K. And uh, by the way, the name really quickly, because you asked me about that and I forgot. Oh yeah, I never I never got into that. Yeah. So the name comes from, so Esther, when Esther and her husband, Mateus, had their first son, James, um, they were trying desperately to make him laugh. And, you know, like the, the sound of a child laughing is like actual crack. It's like the best yeah, thing on earth. for real. And, they did any everything that they could do to try to get him to laugh and it, nothing was working. And finally, they kind of had hit a breakthrough, which was they took his own hand and like poked his giant baby chubby cheek and just said, pock, 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 pock. It was just this like weird word that they said and it worked and he just burst out laughing. Oh my goodness. And then it's been synonymous with like giggles and happiness and coziness ever since. So when we started the company, they're like, we have the name, it's Pock Pock. Um, and the other cool thing about it is like a lot of young kids can say it because yeah. of the, like it's a double word, it's hard consonants. So yeah, we love the name Pock Pock. And Oh my goodness. That is like, it's just like joy, uh, described in a little anecdote. Uh, and now it's going to make <laughs> yeah, me smile it makes me every so time happy I think about thinking it. About it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can find us at play Pock Pock on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere. Our website's playpockpock.com. And you can find me at Melissa cash underscore on Twitter. I know it's a bit of a weird handle, but um, I don't know. It was like 10 years ago. And yeah, with the last unique, name Cash, you don't have done. a lot of options. Everybody thinks I'm spam. So oh, I'm no. <laughs> I would think that's better than like, you know, a, a series of numbers at the end. But uh, yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.com.